These are the dark times, but they don't sustain. Darkness never sustains, even though sometimes it might feel like it might. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Kelsey. And welcome to the Whovian Review. Tonight we're going to be talking about Spyfall Part Part 2. (laughs) 2. I slowed down time for myself. Is this the first one of the multi-episodes that just was Part 2? Don't they usually have different names? They often do. Yeah, they do often have different names. They do. I mean, it's not like the first of it, but it's probably the first of the new series. See, yeah, I guess uh, that ties no. into our big topic of no, the which day. One? The end of time. Oh, part one the and end two. of time, yes, yes. And, uh, and then that was also a Christmas New Year's special, and this one was New Year's and slightly after New Year's special, so. Yes, exactly. And and the, the end of time also has a similarity to this episode. It has the master in it. Exactly. So and, there you go. And it has that knocking in it. Man, there's a lot of uh, throwbacks to previous Doctor Who's here. In fact, I would go so far as to say that this whole story here is very much like a classic Doctor Who story that has the pacing and storytelling capabilities and special effects of new Doctor Who. I would agree with that, and I think there's definitely a homage to pretty much every single Doctor in this whole entire story. You know what this one really reminded me a lot of? is what? City of Death. The Douglas Adams, you know, author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, story with the fourth Doctor where there's a villain that gets... Scaroth. Scaroth, who gets scattered across time and shows up and interferes with human history throughout it and the Doctor goes back and keeps running into him. And in this, that's kind of the same thing with the Doctor essentially getting scattered across time the Master going back and tracking him down. So basically, so the master is the one that the doctor encounters instead of the Scaroth, yeah. Instead of Scaroth. Do doc like do Doctor Who species Time Lords. Time Lords, do they not do they not age? They do, Um, but they age slowly. Much slower than Okay, because I was like, that dude, like, there could the be like master hundreds of years goes by, and it looks like maybe yeah. So the the, the seventy some years that he waited to come back in and look exactly the same—that's not unusual for time lords at all. Okay. Maybe another thousand, they'll start to go gray. Yeah, so like at some point, for example, <laughs> Matt Smith's doctors like comes by and like is like, oh, I'm nine hundred something, and then you see him, he looks exactly the same. He's like, yeah, I'm eleven hundred and three. But yeah, I think we see Matt Smith age too. Um, to uh, to much ev- ev- event- ev- eventually, but eventually, right, right. After several thousand years. <laughs> but yeah, coming back to uh, this episode, so we can get laser shoe focused on the current era. 
Um, we we open up this episode and we're we're back in the plane after a big cliffhanger from Skyfall Part One, and you know the the doctor is gone into some strange other dimension. We've learned and. Um, we have our companions here kind of thrown into the fray to try and uh, get outside of a, um, a plane whose cockpit has already exploded. Luckily, they have a message from the future that tells them how to land a plane without a cockpit. Okay. Which I'm, is very much like Blink, actually. The doctor yeah, leaving, leaving special messages on the wall that somebody sees in the yep. correct order because <laughs> they know when to put it up there. Yeah, that was very similar to Blink. Matter of fact, even uh, Jodie Whittaker was almost having like her own David Tennant moment with how she was talking to them. Yeah. Um, I would do. I would say this, though. Uh, it is very unrealistic for the cockpit of a plane to be blown through and for there to not be a massive problem for the people on board. Now, well, to be fair, the doctor went back and interfered while the plane was getting built. Now, we only saw her putting the plaques in and stuff, but feasibly she could have modified the cockpit as well. Well, what about there being cell phone service in the 1943? Well, Rose is able to call her mom from the year like five billion. Yeah, but she has the TARDIS with her, and there's no TARDIS. Yeah, but I don't even know if the TARDIS was relevant then. I feel like she just, like, looked at her phone and did some... Yeah, oh, yeah, and at another point in time, the doctor, like, modifies uh, some little girl's phone so it could call everywhere, too, so... Actually, it's not a regular flip phone. I mean, the TARDIS is typically there, but the doctor actually rigs Rose's phone uh, in the far future, not in the TARDIS, but he uses a little... He actually puts a device in the phone so that she can call anywhere in time. Yeah, and I I hope that's something like this, because, you know, otherwise, you know, it could at least be a smartphone from the era the Doctor's coming from. Well, don't forget the Master's TARDIS is also in this time frame. Well, well, also, I feel like the Doctor didn't want to confuse them unnecessarily. (laughs) I think that's just as confusing from their perspective. Yeah, if anything, it might be a little bit more intuitive to have an iPhone or something. Yeah. Well, to have different options might be kind of. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think, you know, um, air pressure and, and volume are the only, you know, potential plot hole here. I think we can uh, point to a couple others. Like, for one, you know, the whole theme of the episode around spies and spyfall is, is really just you know, kind of push to the side in one uh, fair moment where it's like, oh, well, they were attacking spies because the spies were onto them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but really, you know, the, the that big enemy here was just trying to look for, to create hard drives. It seems very odd that they would target all these, you know, super sophisticated spies when they could have gotten anybody uh, off the street who was not onto them, not looking for things, especially since the whole digging into spies just created a bigger fuss in the spy community, got everybody on the well, same well, page against them, and brought in the doctor. Well, actually, that was the point, though, because the master said that he raised their ambitions in exchange for them helping him set up a trap for the doctor. So, although he said, oh, yeah, they were going after spies because the spies were figuring it out, it also kind of implies that they did that intentionally to set a trap for the doctor, which worked. Yeah, maybe, but it seems like there's a lot of easier ways to go about it, too. Oh, it seems like a very, a very that, that forced spy theme. Very forced spy theme, for sure. Although, overly complicated and difficult and absurd ways of entrapping the Doctor is kind of the Master's Emma. <laughs> yeah, this is true. And also involving other species that he knows very little about and doesn't actually really have control over is another one of his Emmas. 
Okay, so that, that, that makes a little bit more sense in my mind now. I still think it's a bit of yeah, a hole. Yeah, it was a bit of a hole for sure. But I think it's a lot worse to go after humanity as, you know, the best hard drives in the world. I, I think that's a connection that could be fleshed out a little bit more. I thought it was interesting that they used the DNA, not the brains, because DNA can send an awful lot of information. But you'd think that you could feasibly construct a digital alternative that would be more effective. There are vegetables that have larger genomes than human beings do. I, I think a banana might be an example, even. So That's not a vegetable, but all right. Well, well yes, you're right. That's a fair example. A bad example of a vegetable, but a pretty good example is a larger <laughs> genome. A species that is pretty small and insignificant, uh, at least cognitively, in comparison to us. So I, you know, that's you know, you could go after the trees. And, yeah, and I mean, the there bees. don't seem to be seven billion Corsavin or whatever. And also, like, why did they need all of the the hard drives? Like, they never went into why that was important. Yeah. <laughs> just like we're just going to create hard drives and open a data center for the rest of the universe. <laughs> and it's important enough to us, you know, feasibly yeah. it is to them too. <laughs> It's kind of interesting that the doctor um, goes to the world of these Kassavans, that I guess they're called, um, and then ends up meeting someone from Earth's history, which then, of course, turns this entire episode almost into a historical episode. Because <laughs> we had um, Ada Lovelace, a famous woman who uh, kind of jumpstarts computers in a sense. Um, Perhaps it's my ignorance, but, you know, it seems like some pretty minor characters in history. Oftentimes, minor characters in history get highlighted in Doctor Who and you learn a lot more about them. I also thought it was a very, like, female power kind of episode. Like, she even calls herself a man accidentally, and, like, you kind of see how when she goes back in time, unlike when she's the male version of the Doctor... There is more discrimination, and she can't just walk in and be like, I'm a doctor, and all the men are like, oh, okay, we'll listen to you. It's kind of a, what are you doing here, Yeah, but she seems to really connect a lot better with the women in it, also as a result. Yeah, so I wonder if that's going to be an ongoing theme. Well, so the the mixing up and accidentally calling herself a man, she's done that before. She did that a lot last season, too. Um, But... It, yeah, it's they, a good they, homage. And, and yes, there were moments last season where they kind of addressed the whole "she's a woman" and men didn't do it. But you're right; they did it so much better this season. It was like a lot more innate. Just, it was a lot more like you walk in and this happens to be a fact of the situation, rather than like shoving it in your face. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, just to go back to uh, Lovelace, Ada actually is considered the first computer programmer of all, based on her. Uh, work with Charles Babbage's uh, mechanical machine that he had there. That nice. was all actual factual. So I thought it was also awesome how she was like, oh, Ada Lovelace. She's like, I'm not married. <laughs> I think we erased that tidbit from memory. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have been, that would so I was kind of thinking about that during the episode, too, in terms of that approach. I'm like, oh, I'm such a big fan of yours. Aren't you great? You know, this is what you do. It's like, But the doctor you... does that all the time and then doesn't erase memories. Well, yeah, is like that a new thing? The doctor erasing memories? So that one Sorry, shows up in the fourth season, I think, for the first time. And it's a lot more dramatic at that point in time. Uh, but, yes, that is something the doctor's shown before. Okay, and I know, for me at least, I was very thrown off by the whole doctor and 
master mind meld conversation thing. Is that the first time we've seen this in the like new era? In the new era, yeah. Yeah, they say contact, and that's when they are telepathically connected to each other and they can talk to each other. This is something that the classic era did quite often, especially when the the in the three doctors and the five doctors, they they kind of showed the connection between the doctors themselves telepathically. So they didn't have to literally stand there and talk out everything that just happened to them. They could just find out what happened to them in seconds. And it, it also was kind of nice that this doctor introduced it as like, oh, you're not the only one that could do classic. Just like how the master was like, oh, bringing back an old classic that's shrinking people. And it's all referring to classic Doctor Who. I thought it was kind of a fun. Witty for sure. Witty, yeah. Is, is this breaking the fourth wall kind of sort of? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, just enough. It was a good play on it. And I think, I think Chris did a decent job um, kind of throwing us back in time for a lot of these things. I for mean, sure. Lot, and plus the, the, the four knocks. The four knocks for the master and a lot of the actual quotes from this. Oh yeah. Where, where there's risk, there's hope. That's straight from third doctor's catchphrase where there's life, there's hope. Yeah. I remember mentioning one from la- the last episode too. That was a, the exact quote that the master had re- regurgitated in that one. So, so it's just like, yeah. they're just really bringing back... A lot of history. really nice throwbacks, which is great because, you know, Chris Chibnall had been very, you know, strictly, I'm not going to do any sort of throwbacks or follow-ups on, on old characters or anything, which is Well, but great. maybe he's basically telling the audience with this that, hey, I am doing throwbacks, but I'm going to go back to the classics. I still don't want to do throwbacks to the modern era. Could be. I think it's mostly just telling the fans, of, I heard what you were saying, and I'm changing. But speaking of throwbacks of um, old characters, Kelsey, you had a really good point. Yeah, so I got really excited when the doctor was, like, doing the... Morse code in um, 1943 because I was thinking, oh, maybe she's going to contact like Captain Jack because he's also in that era with like the empty child in England and he has his like time ship or whatever. So I was like, oh, great. Like she's bringing in a cool old character. And then it was like, no, it's just she wants to flirt with the master again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, we kind of changed the timeline slightly for Captain Jack because he literally leaves from that era with the Ninth Doctor. So that that might not work out timeline. Plus, if he was still there, he wouldn't know the Doctor yet. Yeah, Yeah, but she could, like, entice him with some, like, futuristic Um, She could entice him just by being a hot female. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be hard to convince him to come to her. She's got Jodie Whittaker isn't that far away from Billy Piper. (laughs) (laughs) She is the hottest Doctor. (laughs) By far. Agreed, agreed. Um, but what I think is really refreshing about this this as well, like not just that they're uh, going back and um, paying you know some good credence to past Doctor Who times and, and fandom, um, but also what's what was lacking in last season, just about everything was you know pure standalone. You know there wasn't much of a plot kind of uh, woven in between everything. There weren't a lot of loose ends from episode to episode. But even here at an end of a two-parter, not everything is tied up in a neat bow. You know, first we have Barton still out around the world. He pretty much made this big statement that he pretty much has the power of everybody's technology. And he pretty pretty much destroyed his career with that, though. Uh, It it seems to me it it doesn't matter. He he can control every cell phone. He has data on everybody. 
and his extraction team has already taken him away to, to you know, live another day and to plot in the darkness. I didn't even um, think about that. I think, I think he'll be back. As a matter of fact, point. it seems to me like this episode kind of left it open on multiple levels. Because you've got... You've got the master being trapped in another dimension with these creatures. Which he'll get out of miraculously. Uh, he'll get out of it somehow. Although we may actually see how he gets out of it this time. Uh, I doubt it. Good point. Uh, we also have the doctor going back to Gallifrey because the yes. master obviously gives this very cryptic message that the Gallifrey has been destroyed and the doctor goes back. And also, kudos to the doctor for actually going because, I mean... He went last time the master said something like that and was severely disappointed. But here's a question I have. The master is is pretty devious. Is it possible that Gallifrey really isn't destroyed? And No, I think that destroying Gallifrey in a fit of rageful vengeance like a petulant child is totally his MO. That sounds like exactly the sort of thing he would do. Speaking of children, they introduced the Oh, they didn't introduce, actually. They referenced something that was vaguely mentioned last season. Oh, uh, the child? Yeah, in the, in, the, in, child. in the ghost monument, where these things called the remnants, which were, frankly, pretty stupid villains, <laughs> came in, the, and the, the doctor had a memory of the timeless child, and it was just, like, thrown out there and then not mentioned again. <laughs> and well, then in this one, you actually hear a little more about it, at least in the sense of, it was lie. We can only hope that by the child they mean the child from Mandalorian, so we can see that adorable <laughs> baby Yoda some more. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, keep it in I'm this sorry, universe. but there's a lot of Star Warsy stuff, like the whole, the mind meld. I was like, oh, Rey? Maybe I <laughs> Kylo Ren? Where Kasava are from. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Exactly. Could be. Oh, yeah. I thought they were from the upside though, down, though. <laughs> Star Wars did take that from Doctor Who. No. Well, they Doctor Who certainly predates Star Wars with how when they did that because <laughs> that started in 1973, and yeah, Star Wars wasn't until 77. I thought it was in a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Yeah. So <laughs> time-wise, Star Wars is way before. I don't know. Doc, the Doctor has been to the very beginning of the universe and at the very end of the universe. I think that trumps Star Wars. Mm. Just saying. I'm just saying in terms of the, the universe itself that the Doctor's been in. Of course, don't you mean... I think your audience will probably agree with you. <laughs> the universe? Oh, my. Uh, not that I think we should get into a debate about what's better and what's more important. Doctor Who, obviously. But now that you've brought up importance, I want to bring up unimportance. Like, we haven't even brought, we haven't even talked about them. Like, all of the um, companions here are pretty much sidelined. They're kind yeah. of running away, doing their own thing. I feel like the episode could have scrapped them. It more or less functions the same thing. They just need to show up at the end with some pointed questions. <laughs> well, they, well they were kind of like showing the perspective of what was going... Like, they're basically, now let's see what's going on in modern times that the Doctor has to fix. And it's like through their eyes, but they're Well, they, they also did actually try and stop... Uh, what was his name? Daniel? They certainly tried. Yeah, they they tried to stop him, and I think I think that gives them some credit that they've actually started learning from the Doctor and trying to kind of like previous companions, where the previous companions have just kind of taken on the mantle of becoming more like the Doctor. Those that are with him longer obviously tend to be more like him and more dangerous and risky. But yeah, you know when they were dealing with that. Uh 
the whole little silver lady thing, the the machine projection yep. trying to destroy it. All I was thinking was, I was like, man, where is Clara just coming up and smashing it with a chair? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why they didn't try that because that seemed to be an obvious thing to try. I mean, they shot it with rockets and with lasers, but I'm like, why not freaking smash it with a heavy object? Well, well if they couldn't open it with a rocket, then I would think it was. The glass was a little bit impenetrable. Right, but maybe they could have had it topple and then it would have fallen. Or just lifted the glass up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I mean, they, they didn't try brute force thing. <laughs> maybe we just didn't have time <laughs> to try yeah. it. Um, but, uh, so this is this is kind of an interesting... Well, hang on, we haven't really talked about uh, Barton's mother and how he brutally oh my gosh yes this is we have to yeah again another kind of unimportant it just shows that he's yeah it kind of just shows that he's a a horrible person really i think that's the point of that although we did learn that that seven percent of him was an alien well maybe it's alien but it's more so than organic it's it's a hard drive it's his dna being rewritten Slowly. To be, to be a hard drive, yeah. Well, not slowly, but, like, as an experiment. Yes. So I guess that's that's where he's... Well, you know, also the whole creepy factor of, let's be real, technology is kind of watching us and listening to us at all times, and frankly, someone could feasibly do that. That's why I think yeah. it's a brilliant kind of character. It plays on, you know, real fears of uncertainty and, you know, privacy concerns, you know, big tech things that... You know, I, I think we really haven't figured out as a society all their implications, how to deal with them. It's a very yeah. real-world kind of mode. But I think the problem with this episode for me is that you're dealing with too much at once. You've got too many stories going on at once. And it's hard for them to... I mean, obviously, they didn't want to completely finish any of the stories. But... They could have... Yeah, a lot it was of very happened, un- but it, it seems like the plot's just hanging together by a single thread. Yeah. You know? and, and it just... Like they're really trying to fit it all in there. It's a bit unsatisfying uh, to, to have, like, all these questions at the end. Okay, what's going to happen next? And there really isn't any conclusion. It you just, know, I hate, I hate to say that, but it is kind of very Christianal. Well, I also <laughs> think it was, like, the whole computer thing and Google thing and stuff. That could have been like a whole episode and a whole villain itself. And in this, it was like a side villain. And so I I don't know, maybe they're going to bring it back, but it it does kind of feel like they're like throwing away these like very interesting topics that they could have kind of given more screen time and thought it out a little bit more, I guess. I bet more is coming. Yeah. Uh, Well, because you have three villains, you have, you have the creatures what are they called? Even, Barton, yeah. just gonna fade away Even they Barton. are kind of like sidelined in this episode. It was they, almost they, a... To a degree. They do, of course, kind of resolve the problem with regards to the master. But you've got the master, you've got the creatures, and you've you, got You honestly, Daniel. though, still don't quite understand what they are and why they're doing this. But they're banished. But that's actually a good now. thing because I think keeping some of the mystery about them is kind of nice. If they come back. I think they will. I think it's kind of, they're kind of, uh, they seem to be something that could come back. Yeah, but the thing is, is that we also have seen last season that Chris Tribnall sometimes brings in things and doesn't tie up loose ends and then never brings it back. Right. And it just kind of hangs there and you're like, oh, that just wasn't ever going to be resolved. Although I will say that all of Spyfall had a very, it started off having kind of a Stephen Moffat feeling. And in this episode... It almost had a Russell T. Davies feeling because Russell T. Davies kind of, except for the fact that it didn't end, <laughs> that was the only problem. But it seemed like they were trying to get to an end, or at least Chris was trying to get to an end that never happened. 
um, but doing it in such a way that it was very quick and very fast. Oh, so the doctor comes up on the screen on the airplane and says, okay, you're going to pilot the ship now. And then, and then they kind of solve the problem of the doctor being in this other uh, universe or dimension by just simply bringing her back with a historical character who just happens to be there as well. So, I mean, it just seems like it's a lot of very fast-paced, let's solve little things. And, and plus the Doctor's uh, dialogue, too, which is very snappy and very fast-paced and she yep. really spat out a lot of things very quickly, which is very Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat, really. Yeah, so, I mean, it did have a little bit of a classic sense in, or a classic New Who sense in that, with regards to all that, but Chris obviously was behind the ropes because we're all kind of still going, huh? I love how you guys are like on a first name basis these days. You and Chris. Yeah. Well, well, Chris is the showrunner. I yeah, mean, I mean, you do have a tendency, Michael, to really go into just referring to people by their first names, even though you don't know them. Well, Chris Chibnall. I mean, I guess he'd probably be better. It's okay if I refer to him as Chris. It's no, I'm not dissing him or anything. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, I noticed. Just fun for me. <laughs> I kind of figured. <laughs> well, I'll give myself a, a hard time and throw us right into ratings, and I will start with myself. Oh my! Um, so it's happening. Um, we're back to Skyfall Part Two. Um, the story continues. I enjoyed this episode. You know, uh, there's there's lots of valid criticisms that I think we've all aired and, and we've shared in here. Um, but by and large, I was pretty much the whole time I was interested. I'm really excited about this master. I thought some of the strongest moments in this were just dialogue between the master and Jody herself. I think Jody even might have had some of the stories. You're on a first name basis with her? Yes, yes. <laughs> we're, we're very close. Um, I might have had some of her best moments in the show just because we had real emotion and kind of like some of the seething hatred and anger just between her and, and the master. Those are some of my favorite parts. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I Spyfall Part 1 set us up for a lot. And I think Chris Chibnall's like biggest thing in this part two is can he land this plane you know figuratively as an episode but also <laughs> yes. literally in the beginning yeah. and thankfully that plane does get landed and those people were safe but as a bigger whole i felt like spyfall part one set me up for higher expectations for this episode i don't think it was as cohesive i think there were some plot downfalls there were some other things i just weren't happy about it felt a little bit forced but I did enjoy the episode, and you know, it has a lot of merit because it's keeping me interested in going forward with this season. I want to know what's happening with Barton, um, the, the cassava, and really I, I want to know this big secret of Gallifrey and all the Time Lords and their identity. Um, so this was good. For me, not great. I, I, I thought actually the first part was a stronger episode than the second part. Uh, for me, this is going to get a 7.5 out of 10. Kelsey. Um, so I agree with what a lot of what Colin said. I think that the first episode was a lot stronger, just mainly because it was just more cohesive. I think the second episode had a lot of really interesting things, but it really wasn't tied up at the end, and it kind of left a lot of openings for where this season could go, which is exciting. But as an episode itself, you're kind of like, well, is this going to be resolved? And I don't know. It almost disappointed because it, it really didn't feel like it was completed appropriately, but and again, like I am unsure if they're ever going to address these like glowy creatures again, or if that's just 
thrown away and now it's all going to be focused on really like the time Lord planet being destroyed and this mystery child thing. And, and that just seems like where they were kind of leaving it at the end. Um, I did think it was interesting how the companions at the end are kind of starting to question the doctor a little bit more. And I'm, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen as that many of the older episodes, so I don't know how much details we have on like doctor who's growing up and his relationship with the master like back in the day and it seemed almost like that is going to be a plot moving forward of like getting more information of hey when they were best friends back in the day like how was that and how did they grow up how were they raised what were they taught you know and it seems like we're going to get a lot more background on that which to me is is kind of exciting and interesting um so I think that this is a good setup episode but it's not a necessarily a great like Conclusion. Yeah, conclusion. Um, but again, I I agree with Colin in that I was entertained the whole time. I really liked the first episode. This episode was good. It wasn't great, but the story as a whole like was pretty good. Um, so I'm gonna give this this part a seven, and like the if I rate the two together, I would give like the double as like an eight, I guess. If I don't know. If, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I would love to hear more about the Doctor and Master growing up. We have seen a little bit or more little snippets of the, the Doctor's childhood, but we really haven't really seen him and the Master as friends before they became, like, frenemies, and that would be cool. Um, now, Mike, I know you're going to have a heart attack on this, but this, this one, I feel like this guy might be my favorite Master. I mean, we're going to have to see how he goes the rest of the season. I but the I really like this actor. I like the way they've done the character. I like the, the, the passion and the fire and, and all of it. I think that he does a phenomenal job um, with it. And I also agree with Colin on the, you know, Jody playing off of um, him has really been some of her strongest acting in the show. And I think it's just because they have, the actors have really good uh, chemistry and plus the, you know, the writing was actually better. That said, yes, the plot did not quite come together. <laughs> a lot of part, there were a lot of really great parts of, of this episode. I really did like the dialogue, especially the doctor's dialogue. It really kept up with last episode on, you know, being more like Dr. Who <laughs> But the plot did kind of fall. It, it it didn't quite tie up. And I'd like to say that I believe that it's all going to tie up later in the season. But uh, I don't think that it probably will. I am very excited for the rest of the season. I think that everything we've seen in these first two episodes really indicates some very strong and exciting things to come. I'm excited for the story arc and everything. I'm a little wary of the concept of us going back to, oh no, Gallifrey's been destroyed, all the Time Lords are dead, what are we going to do? <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it is a bit of a different thing because this is, you know, we've got a very clear, the master did it type of thing happening here, and I hope that he shows up a lot more this season. Uh, but given the plot holes, I'm going to have to give this one a seven. Huh. Michael. Yeah, yeah. 
one, one character we never mentioned was Noor Inayat Khan, who abs- absolutely is a spy herself. So I guess there was a little reference to spies in this episode that we forgot to mention. Right. Um, uh, she, of course, uh, was tortured and then put to death, I believe, when she ended up on enemy side. So oh. that's why she's, she's actually more of a national British hero. Why wipe um, her memory, then? <laughs> Um, be, well, because I the guess... The doctor is cruel. <laughs> I know. The doctor doesn't want to get, probably give her any information beyond what she already knows in order for her to do what she needs to do. That may be the only thing I can think of. Plus, um, I mean, like, if she knows that things are going to turn out well and fascists aren't going to win, I mean... <laughs> then she may not do anything. Yeah. Any rate, uh, with that in mind, um, I'm going to say that the... The master-doctor relationship in this episode very much mirrors a lot of the master-doctor relationship in the past. And I'm not talking about Missy and the Twelfth Doctor. I'm talking pretty much everything before that. Um, One thing I really liked about the master and doctor relationship throughout the entire program, especially with the John Pertwee-Roger Delgado uh, master-doctor That's the original. That's the original. They had, they're very much the opposite character. Um, the, the master was very suave and sophisticated and actually kind of nice to the people around him, even though he was evil and would kill them in a heartbeat. Whereas the doctor was kind of more cantankerous, more kind of unapproachable. He was very, the third doctor was very serious and, and, and definitely not suave and sophisticated, but more just kind of like, oh, whatever, I'm going to do my own thing and my own TARDIS and, do, and all that good stuff. Um, with all that said, um, they really played on that in this episode where the, the master is so opposite. The I mean, doctor. he's a true psychopath. He is. Manic maniac. I mean, even though he's even so, with the whole thing this, of why would I make it easy for you? It was hard for me. But the, inca- but this incarnation is specifically the opposite of Jodie Whittaker's doctor. So it seems, it, it seems to be following that kind of formula, mo- formula. Exactly. Um, and so that part of this story really worked and it worked well. And I do appreciate the acting in this particular episode. Yes, the companions were slightly sidelined, but they at least did something and you could see them coming together and thinking about, okay, what do we need to do? What would the doctor do in this episode, in this case? That's a very traditional thing that the companions, the good companions would actually do. Although they didn't actually. They said, what would the doctor want us to do? Well, okay. Well, it's kind of the same concept, obviously. They were grabbing the reins. You know, they weren't followers anymore. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They, they've, they've gotten into this. They still don't know who the doctor is, which is another theme. Now, one of the things that the master said in the first part is, not everything is as it seems, which begs the question, what in this episode is not as it seems? Because... I don't know if that was completely explained in this particular episode. Another, I think he was talking about Gallifrey, the timeless child. Possibly. It, I, Everything you know is a lie. That could be. That could be. Um, I didn't think of it that way. And so, yeah, that makes sense now. Um, but, <laughs> but, I mean, in, I don't know. The, the plots, there's so many plots going on at once and, and almost too many villains for me to actually say, okay, this is... It, it gets almost too convoluted. And so I think Chris just didn't know where to go with it. So he decided to end all of the, all of the plots 
without an ending, without a true final. Yeah, ending. stopped him. Which it, like instead of really landing the plane, he gave everybody parachutes and, and pushed them off. Exactly. Um, so with that all said, um, I'm I'm gonna say, and, and this is based on everything I've been seeing. So I'm gonna give this a six out of ten because I think um, it. There were very strong parts. There's a lot of good going on in here. Matter of fact, I'll give this a 6.5 because I gave the first part an 8. So overall, I think this opener is a 7-ish, somewhere in that range. I think I'd even go so far as to say it was an 8 overall. Colin, what would you say overall? Overall? 8 is fair. I I, I want to, like, even, you know... Like super decimalized this thing and give it like a seven point seven five. Really split the difference. That's kind of where I'm feeling. So instead of a ten point curve or scale, we're going to now have a five hundred point scale. So yeah. this two parter made me go there. You know, blame Chris Jimnall. Yeah. I always do. <laughs> Anyway, you've been listening to the Hoovy Review. Please don't hesitate to share your opinions with us. You can certainly. Uh, Give us a message over at Facebook or just send us an email if you really want us. At the really Hoobie and Review at gmail.com. Yeah, you can. Um, feel free to give us questions about what you want us to do or say in our podcast. And we will answer them if you do respond. If you do respond. Yes, this is a golden moment where the episodes are coming out right before our podcasts are. So get ready to, to watch and then here's some great commentary on the side. You know, even... Loop in your friends, your relatives. You might want to share this podcast as well with them. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>